Welcome to the New England Football Journal podcast. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and joining me as always is my partner in crime, uh, or my compadre, or whatever you want to call him, Kevin Stone. Stoney, what's going on, my man? How you doing, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's another miserable day in New England. It's bad <laughs> enough we have the coronavirus to deal with. All of a sudden now we're living in Seattle slash Northern Ireland. This weather is awful, by the way. It makes what is an already bad situation worse, in my opinion. I saw 60 to 70 degrees tomorrow, right? Uh, not here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you were looking at the weather forecast for somewhere nice. I thought I thought I saw 60 sometime this week. but I, I think pretty- Wednesday we're, su- we're supposed to get some breaks of sun. Might actually see the sun for a period of time on Wednesday until we go back to hell on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with three straight days of rain. I'm about to build a freaking arch stone. Hey, as long as we get football in a few months, I'm good. Yeah, well, that <laughs> remains to be seen. There's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then for us to get football back. But speaking of football, let's jump right into this weekend's NFL draft. Of course, the NFL draft was this weekend. We're going to get into the draft in its entirety. I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on the draft itself. Mm -hmm. But I want to start off with what a lot of people around here are talking about on social media, and that's the Patriots not drafting a quarterback. Obviously, it was a major topic of conversation leading into the draft. In typical Bill Belichick fashion, he gave us all the middle finger and said, you know what, you might think I need to draft one. But I'm not going to draft one because that's not how I roll. I do what I do, and I have six rings to prove that what I do works. So, what are your thoughts on them not drafting a quarterback? So, I don't hate it. Uh, As you know, I've written about this. I do think Stidham could be pretty good. Uh, Again, I have nothing to base that off of. None of us really do, uh, besides preseason last year. But um, at this point, uh, like I said, the last time we did this, I wanted defense, and they went defense. Um, I don't hate the idea, and I do trust the fact that um, Stidham has been in the system and, and, and might be okay. Yeah, you know, I think you bring up a good point. They, they obviously like and trust Stidham. They see enough there that they're comfortable with going into the season with him. I don't buy this notion that they're entertaining signing Cam Newton. I know that was out there this weekend. I know that the bookies in Vegas have placed them as the favorites to sign him. I would be flabbergasted, floored, if they signed Cam Newton. He's not coming here. I don't see that happening. I think it's it's Jared Stidham or Bust in 2020. I think they're going to give him a legitimate shot to prove he can be the guy. I think he beats out Hoyer. No offense to Brian Hoyer, but I think even deep down inside, he doesn't really have a shot at this job. It's Stidham's job to lose. I think they're going to roll with him. They're going to ride with him, and they're going to see if he's the guy. Now, I will say this. I was a little surprised that they didn't draft the quarterback. I thought for sure that they would draft one day three, which, by the way, and we'll get into this in, in a little bit, I was not happy with day three in this draft, and I'll tell you why. But I thought for sure that they would draft a quarterback. Now, they did end up signing two quarterbacks as undrafted free agents and Jamar Smith and Brian Lewerke. But, again, I thought that there were some other names there that were better fits for them than those two guys, whether it be James Morgan or Steven Montez. There were guys that were in the draft that got drafted. Morgan got drafted. Montez did not. Those guys were available, and they passed on him, which I thought was pretty telling, especially because we had heard throughout the pre-draft process that they really did like James Morgan out of Florida 
international. But but again, I got to say, Kevin, I was surprised. I, I thought they were going to draft a quarterback, and they didn't. And that's Bill Belichick throwing us a 12-6 to curveball and striking us out. Now, look, I don't think he did it on purpose. I think he let the board come to him, and he decided, you know what? I don't really like any of these guys. So I'm going to wait because there are guys that are probably going to be available after the fact that are similar in talent. Now, switching gears here, let's get into the uh, – before we get into the Patriots draft, I do want to get your thoughts real quick. What did you think of the virtual draft as a whole? Look, I mean, for all the talk uh, about how screwed up it might be or, or all the problems that they had, you know, with the, uh, with the practice sessions, I think it was about as good as it could have been. Um, Presentation-wise, you know, Goodell, I think – made it easier uh, to hate him than it already was. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was so freaking it was just, annoying, It was painful man. and it was, it was contrived. Um, it, it was contrived, and you just hit the nail on the head. It was contrived when he had his back to yeah. the camera and he was trying to engage with the people on the Ooh. screen. It was so freaking annoying, especially when Minnesota was on the clock and he's trying to do the skull thing and – and then when the Chiefs are on the clock, he's doing the chop. I'm like, all right, dude, give it What's up. The- by the way, by the time Thursday night rolled around, by the time you get to picks 30, 31, 32, I think he was half in the back oh, anyway. Done. And he was on a sugar high with the he M&M. Was done. So it the one matter. that got me uh, was turning around to the fans, was you know trying to get the Patriots fans to boo him. He's not supposed to like that. <laughs> um, so right. it, was, right. it was annoying. But overall, I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I thought they did a tremendous job. Kudos to ESPN, NFL Network, ABC. Kudos to all of them for for being able to put this together and get it done without any glitches, really. They had no glitches to speak of. In fact, the only glitch was Goodell. The fact that he was there right. was a glitch. Um, but but overall, you got to tip your, your cap to them. They did a tremendous job with it. I liked a lot of aspects of it. And quite frankly, I love the fact that you didn't have the pop and circumstance of it. Because that wears on you, especially now that they're going from city to city and they're packing these areas where their setup is and they're trying to make it more crowd centric and, and you know they're trying to hide they're trying to showcase the players more and the suits and the pomp and the circumstance. Kevin, I didn't miss any no, of that. I-, I really enjoyed it. I loved that there was an organic feeling to it, especially with the cameras being set up uh, in the different homes of, of, of the players that were being drafted. It was great to see their excitement, their enthusiasm, the enthusiasm of their families. I thought they were pushing the the coach general managers with their kids thing a little mm-hmm. too much. Uh, that that kind of got old. That wore on me by Saturday. I'm like, all right, you know what? I've had enough of Bob Quinn's kids. I've had enough of Jason Light's kids. I've had enough of, um, you know, Matt LaFleur's kids. I mean, I honestly, I've had enough of Nike Belichick, to be honest. I could, that got, that kind of wore on I couldn't on stand me. that. Um, look. We know you're not the funniest guy in the world. What are you doing? Just just make the damn pick and let's go. Right. Yeah, I don't care that 1970 called and they want their dining room table back. <laughs> I don't care that Nike's hanging out there with you on the on the chair and you're playing rope toy with them. Just, just make right, the pick. Right. Okay. You know, at this point, we know what you are, Bill Belichick. You're not going to endear yourself to us. We don't care. So I thought that part of it was a little mm-hmm. cheesy and it, and it kind of got stale by Saturday, but Again, overall, they did a tremendous job. Kudos to the league. Kudos to, to ESPN, ABC, NFL Network. They put it all together, and I hope they do take some elements of this draft and use them moving forward because I think it would help what's already a great Agreed. Um, now, going back to, to players and the draft in the mm-hmm. Patriots, 
What did you think of the draft? And and dare I say, if I if I would if I'd ask you to give me a grade, what would Kevin Stone's grade be on this draft? So, what did you think of the draft, and how would you grade it all? So we uh, we put out a poll today, uh, and I actually selected option B. Uh, I thought it was about a B. Um, again, we talked earlier before the draft. I had said I wanted defense. They went hard on defense. Um, now, of course, grabbing a, a Division two kid with the thirty seventh pick. You're going to get some eyes, uh, some side eyes, I should say. We don't know if this kid can truly, you know, be an impact player or not, but uh, I like the idea of linebackers from, from Michigan and Alabama. Uh, I like the idea of, uh, I think it's Uche, uh, teaming, teaming yeah. up with, uh, with Chase Winovich at some point, and I, I didn't hate it. Um, the tight ends, again, I don't know a ton about, but Dalton Keene seems like he is very uh, versatile and seems like he can do a lot of different stuff, so Overall, I thought it was a pretty good day. Uh, and as you are well aware, I have been very critical of his drafting. So, as usual, we'll have to see. But uh, I didn't hate the, the three days overall. Well, it's funny that, that you mentioned your, your criticism of his draft because, um, you know, all of his supporters around here obviously disagree with us and, and some of our takes on, on Bill Belichick and, and his draft. And I think when you look at the way he's drafted the 20 years that he's been here, He's had some really good drafts that have been that have been the backbone of championship right. teams, and he's had some stinkers. And unfortunately, too many people around here are willing to turn a, a blind eye to the bad drafts and not acknowledge them, and not acknowledge that you know what he's no different than any other general manager or front office executive around the league. He does pick players that don't work out, uh, but he gets a little bit more of a free pass than they do because he's won six Super Bowls in the last 20 years. So that, that buys him that buys him some mulligans, if you will. Uh, I gave their draft a C. I broke it down yesterday on uh, New England Football Journal, anyfootballjournal.com. I gave it a C because, look, I like Kyle Duggar, the player. I'm not quite sure I would have taken a safety at 37. I know he's a three-level player. I know that he could do some, some things in the return game. I know there's a ton of value there. But he's also 24. He's going to be a four-year contract guy, which means if he doesn't play for you right away so you can get a sense of what he can do, you may only get one contract out of him at the most. Um, the Division II thing doesn't bother me. I've coached Division II college football. Trust me, I know there's some good football players there. Um, not necessarily players that are going to get drafted, but I coached my fair share of players and against players that deserve to at least go to an NFL camp. So, there's a lot more talent at the D2 level that I think people are willing to acknowledge. Uh, that being said, I, I, again, to me, the, I like the player. I don't like the pick. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I love what they did at the linebacker and tight end position. I think Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings, a guy that I mocked to them in my daily mock drafts more than any other player, uh, I think are tremendous fits. I think they're tremendous scheme fits. And I think both of those guys are going to step in and make an immediate impact in 2020. I, I love both players. I, I'm not sure that he could have picked two better scheme fits at that position than those two guys. Uh, at the tight end position, look, it's funny because the tight end position was ridiculed in this draft, right? There were yeah. a, a lot of people that felt, you know what? There's no first-round caliber tight end here. You, you know, it's a, it's a bad year for the position. I get all that, but as I've said on this podcast before, 
when you look around the league, okay, there are very few first-round tight ends that are elite. A lot of your elite tight ends were taken in the middle rounds, whether it be, well, Gronk was taken in the second round, but whether it be Gronk or Travis Kelsey or Waller, a lot of your your elite-level type tight ends, they didn't go early. And so, yeah, and you saw it, by the way, last year, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, the Iowa teammates, go to Detroit and Denver respectively. They didn't do anything as rookies, and they were first-round picks. So you can get a lot of value at that position throughout the three days of the draft. But this year, the thing with that position was the gap between the top three players at the position, guys like Cole Komet and Adam Trotman and Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, was very minimal. So I thought the Patriots got really good value there in the third round with both Asiasi and Keene. I think they're two guys that are going to step in right away. They improve the position. They're going to give you production because what you had last year was freaking embarrassing. (laughs) He knew it was embarrassing. He knew that he needed to address the position, and he did a nice job. I think he got two impact players or potential impact players in Asiasi and Keene. You know, it's funny, Kevin, because I think when I look at this draft, and, and we spent a lot of time in the weeks leading up to this draft, and not just us, a lot of people around here in New England spent a lot of time revisiting a lot of his previous drafts and comparing them. And I think when you look at this draft, I think the third round, the players that were picked in the third round are going to be the players that are going to determine down the road if this draft was successful or not. Um, I just feel to me that it doesn't really matter what he did day three, not to say that he's not going to get any players out of that group. But I think ultimately when we judge this draft five years from now, we're going to be judging it on what he did in round three, because I think those guys are going to be the guys that are really going to help this football team. Okay. You know, and I'm not saying that obviously Duggar and Uche are very good players and they, and they probably are going to come in here and make an immediate impact. But I think, their best value picks were Jennings and the two tight ends. And I think that's how we're going to remember this draft. Real quick, what did you think of the offensive linemen? Uh, I know I like the idea of them adding more depth uh, to that position because obviously that was a problem last year too. Well, you add depth, but I think it's also with an eye to the future. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Joe Tooney. You've got him on the franchise tag, but there's no guarantees that you're going to be able to resign him after this season. Mm-hmm. He's going to command a 14 to $16 million a year contract, if not more. So even though they're going to be flushed with a lot of cap space next year, um, I, I'm not so sure that they're going, to, they're, they're going to want to pay him that kind of money. He's probably going to get that money somewhere. I'm mm-hmm. just not sure it's going to be here. Cannon comes off their books as well. Right. So I think when you look at the two linemen they took last year, Kajus and Froholt, and you look at the linemen they took this year, Heron, and uh, Onelawu, or however the hell you say his name. I couldn't <laughs> pronounce it even when I covered him in Michigan. Um, I think when you look at those guys, as well as those two guys that they picked last year, those are picks with an eye towards the future. I think they know, realistically speaking, unless they're willing to break the bank for Tooney, they're not going to resign Cannon more than likely. We don't even know if Cannon's on this team come July in training camp, assuming yes, we have training camp. He might get cut before that. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think that those picks were with an eye towards the future. Now, look, I, I didn't – I saw the Heron kid play in person. I, I got to see Dalton Keene and Heron play in person this year covering the Boston College games. Very impressed with both, especially Dalton Keene. I think he's going to be an, a versatile 
piece for them. They can do a lot of different things as a move tight end. I really like Heron Kid as well. Played left tackle for Wake Forest, but I think he's going to have to kick inside and play guard for the Patriots. But now when you look at Onemwanu, or however the hell you say his name, he's got to drop about 25 to 30 pounds, man. Yeah, he's, he's a big boy. He's almost 350 pounds. He is a big boy. And, and, I, and I think that's the thing. So, yeah, I like the pick because I think he's a good football player, good vertical blocker. He gets moved in the run game, but can't move laterally. He's going to have a hard time handling three techniques that, that can elongate their stance and get up the field. And ultimately, I think in order for him to effectively play in this league, he's going to have to drop 20, 25 pounds. Um, now, I mentioned this to you earlier. I did not like what they did day three. I mean, I can understand why they took the two linemen. You take the kid, Roar Wasser, the kicker from URI and Marshall. I mean, you passed up on the best kicker in the draft at that point, okay? You passed up on the best best kicker in the draft. You take a kicker that he comes with a little bit of baggage. You have to answer some questions on the 3% tattoo and whatnot. Yep. And I think we both agree that was overdone. Yeah, um, absolutely. But then you wrap up this draft by taking an undisciplined linebacker out of Wyoming who runs around. Yeah, he makes plays. Yeah, he's athletic, but he's also out of position a ton. Not, I'm not sure he's really a great fit other than special teams. And then with your last pick of the draft, where, again, I don't want to belabor the point, they could have taken a receiver there or maybe a quarterback. But if at that point they didn't want a quarterback, then take a receiver. Humor me. Bring another body in that, that you drafted that could potentially develop, especially given the fact that they've had success in the seventh round. Instead, mm-hmm. they take a short-arm center out of Memphis in Dustin <laughs> Woodard. So for me, I, I didn't love day three. I, I thought they could have gotten more value out of day three. Now, I do think that they got a lot of value out of the undrafted free agents they signed, and I'm going to have something up on them tomorrow. I wanted to go through and watch some film on them so I can give you you know a little bit of background on them as players, not their numbers. You can get that anywhere, but on our site, we want to talk about them as players. So we'll have something up on them tomorrow. But uh, overall, I mean, like I said, I'd give it a C. I, I didn't think it was a terrible draft, but I'm not about to grade it higher, higher than a C because while I think he filled some needs at linebacker, tight end, there were some holes there. Which brings me to my next question, which is, do you think Bill Belichick did enough? Do you think he did enough? that you feel comfortable covering this team that you feel that they can not only contend for the AFC East, but a playoff spot and possibly even Super Bowl contention. So AFC East, I was trying to hold out. Uh, I really think Buffalo did a hell of a job. Um, I do think they might be the team to beat this year uh, in that division. Uh, Miami got a lot better. Even the Jets got better too. So I don't think the AFC East is necessarily – uh, the walk that it, it has been for, you know, the past 20 years or so. Real quick, just to back up for two seconds, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Jake Burt uh, out of BC as well. Um, I do think he could, you know, have some impact on that Patriots team. If oh, they gave the him $80,000 to sign, which tells you that they like him enough and they could potentially see him in their future yeah. plans. You know, absolutely. Again, we would have been remiss if we didn't at least mention him. Um, but overall, to do enough, I don't think so. Uh, I Again, I did like all the defense they took. Uh, it felt like he's really trying to, you know, kind of restock the shelves, uh, defensively at least. But like I said, I honestly think Buffalo 
even the Jets, I think they got a lot better uh, this weekend. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point, Kevin. I think Buffalo had a really strong draft. Considering they didn't have a first-round pick, I love what they did in this draft with Epinesa and, and Moss. They took Jake Fromm, who could end up developing into a nice backup spot starter, maybe even develop enough that he could get a chance to start somewhere else. Um, I thought the Jets, solid draft, starting with Mekhi Becton. They also addressed some needs at wide receiver with Denzel Mims. And look, Miami had a successful draft because they finally may have found a quarterback in Tua Tungabayaloa. If he ends up being the guy, um, I, I, I think that this draft will be a success for him no matter what happens with, with the rest of their picks. Austin Jackson, the young tackle they took out of USC, I think has as much upside as any tackle in this draft, and he could develop into a really good player. Did he do enough to keep them in, in Super Bowl contention? No. I don't think that they're a Super Bowl contender, not unless Jared Stidham plays above his head and the pieces around him play really well, i.e. Nikhil Harry take the next step. Mohamed Sanu mm-hmm. plays to the Pro Bowl level that he's played at before. Sony Michelle turns it around after what was a, a disappointing sophomore campaign. Uh, Julian Edelman stays healthy and develops a rapport with him. They get something out of the tight end position. I think they're going to play pretty good defense because I still think they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball with Lawrence Guy and Hightower and Gilmore and McCourty. They've got some leadership on that side of the ball, but they've also got some talent. But I think a lot of where they're going to go in 2020 obviously will fall on Jared Stidham. If Stidham plays well and they don't have to make up for some of his deficiencies by by being cute and and, uh, gimmicky and trying to run the ball and trying to control the clock, if he can actually be trusted to throw the football and they can be balanced, they can be pretty good, and I think they'll be in the mix with the AFC East. But, man, I I don't know. I, I just don't see how how you can stay in Super Bowl contention starting a second-year quarterback and replacing Tom Brady. I, I think that that's, that's a tall order. Remember, last year they went 12-4 and four with Tom Brady, and at one point they were 9-0, and oh, and they won 12 games with that team, and that team – on paper, is better than this team right now. So even though they had some holes at tight end and a couple of other spots, as a whole, the 2019 roster is certainly better than this roster. I I don't I think they did enough to Would you agree? I agree. Um, again, the AFC East thing, I, I feel, is, is harder now. You also have to take a look at Baltimore and Kansas City. Uh, I thought Baltimore got much better as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. Baltimore is so good. Eric DaCosta picking up right where Ozzie Newsom left off. Uh, John Harbaugh, they're all on the same page. But Baltimore, the way they put on a drafting clinic, they don't panic. Very rarely do they move around. They did trade up a couple of years ago to take Lamar Jackson. But teams like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, you see it with Indianapolis now, and Chris Ballard, they let the board come to them. They don't sit there and say, if the top three players at this position aren't there when we pick at this point in the draft, then we're either going to move out or do something crazy. They stick to their board. They let it come to them. And they have enough players at each position that they like that they're comfortable with picking one of those players and living with it because they know that when they bring them into their system, they can develop them. Now I know 
again, and this is what you got to be careful with around here, particularly you, Stone. You need to watch yourself on this. I, I but, know, I do. But, but you know what I'm going to say? People around here are going to point to the fact that the Patriots have been the best organization in pro sports the last 20 years. They've won six Super Bowls. So, therefore, how is it that those teams are doing everything right and the Patriots aren't? I'm not saying that the Patriots don't draft the right way. I'm just simply saying that he loves to move around. He has a little Jimmy Johnson in him. He, <laughs> a lot of his views on the draft are, are similar views that Johnson had. They're friends. And he mm-hmm. loves to move around. And those teams don't. They like to stand pat, make very few deals, and take players that fit their philosophy and their schemes. And they do a pretty good job. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that the Patriots don't. I'm just simply saying, to your point, you mentioned them. Those teams do a pretty good job as well. Um, before we go here, have, have you been watching The Last Dance? Absolutely. Okay. If you had said no, uh, I'm, I was going to start to wonder why the hell am I in this uh, partnership with you? That's right. I, I hear you. No, I, absolutely. So uh, if I if I ask for a Kevin Stone Roger Ebert-esque review of the first two weeks of The Last Dance, the first four episodes. What are your thoughts on it so far? So their last championship, uh, I was 10 years old. Oh, uh, you were old enough to remember it, Stone. Don't don't a, cop no, out on me here, Stone. No, no, no. That's exactly why uh, I'm prefacing this. The, the earlier days, I didn't necessarily remember. But that those 96, well, You were still pounding apricot. Apricot pureed products and running around in a diaper when they won their first one. No, exactly. So that the 96, 97, 98 teams, uh, those years I remember very well. And uh, the Rodman part last night was outstanding. Um, that the whole thing about him going to Vegas. Can you imagine if Randy Moss asked Belichick that? You know, back in 07. <laughs> hey, he invited him to a Halloween like party. It's exactly. So uh, I thought that was incredible, but. Uh, no, the only thing I haven't really liked is how they've kind of bounced around, you know, from 91 to 98 in the same episode. And I get what they're doing. Uh, it seems a little bit jumbled, but uh, overall, I thought it's been outstanding. See, I love that about it because, I mean, I'm 45. So for me, I remember all six of their championship teams. I go back well before that. I mean, I you know, I was... You know, in the mid-80s, I was 8, 9, 10 years old, so I remember that Celtics dynasty. I remember those rivalry games against the Lakers. Um, so, you know, for me, I go I go well before Jordan. Uh, I love it. I, I think it's tremendous. I do like that they're bouncing back because they're giving you the backstory and the history of how those teams were formed and how they got to this point in 1998. Um, I thought last night was fantastic. The, the the backstory on Rodman, his Pistons years, which, look, I look back on it now, as much as I hated and I reviled those Pistons teams, there's a small part of you that can't help but love the way they played. Yeah, it was dirty, but they were tough. They were physical. They were half-court teams. They cut the game in half. They beat the hell out of you for four quarters, and they walked out of there with an 85-80 win. Uh, it was a comp- Have you seen so, have you seen the the uh, the the Bad Boys documentaries? Yeah, yeah. tremendous. Yeah, those, those tremendous. Um, yeah. But but I love what they're doing, uh, you know, and I love that that they're really digging into a lot of the personal side of it. You know, the Jerry Krause with Phil Jackson and Jordan, and and Pippen and his contract, and Michael and Scotty's relationship. I mean, again, 
they've been sitting on this footage now for 20 years. So no one knew that all of this happened behind the scenes. I mean, look, you knew that there was, you knew that, that Krause was bumping his gums talking about that being Phil Jackson's last year. And, and I remember there being questions about it being Michael Jordan's last year. Um, but know how deep that stuff was, how personal it was, how much Jordan and Pippen despised Krause, despite the fact that Jerry Krause built those teams. And it's funny because here's a guy who's the architect of those teams, and somehow, because he has this affinity for Tim Floyd, and, and he's afraid that if the Bulls hang on to Jordan and Pippen for too long, that they're eventually going to fall apart, and then it's going to be a long rebuild. Because he had all of these fears, he ends up basically destroying a team that, let's face it, had Michael come back in 99, they were probably good enough had they kept, kept that team together to beat the Spurs that year. So, uh, you know, I think it's incredible. I think ESPN has done a tremendous job with it. It's appointment television. We certainly need it right now with everything that's going on in the world. Uh, I, I can't wait for next week. It leaves you wanting more, right? When you're so, when you're watching that seven episode, you're like, all right, I'm ready for the next one. So speaking of next week, uh, as wrestling fans, I know you are as well as I am. Uh, do you think they get into the whole Carmelo and Dennis Rodman thing with WCW? That'd be awesome if they did. It would be, and it would fit what they're doing with this whole thing anyway. I think it'd be great right. to to put it in there. I mean, because. Look, when they're telling that Vegas story last night, I mean, that was out there. If you remember, that was out there that he had gone to Vegas at the time he was dating Carmen Electra. Um, mm. But again, you didn't know the behind-the-scenes stuff. You didn't know that Jordan had to go out there to basically <laughs> drag him out of that hotel room and get him back so that they could practice and, and you know, and, and get back to get him back to playing basketball. It's It's... Again, it's it's fascinating, fascinating television. And, of course, I love now how it's fueled the whole who's greater, you know, LeBron or Michael conversation. Mm-hmm. Look, people that know me know where I stand on it. There's Michael Jordan <laughs> and everybody else. And do I think LeBron James is an all-time great? Absolutely. Do I think LeBron James, by the time he's done playing, do I think he'll be right there with Jordan? Yeah, I do. And especially if he wins one or two more titles before he's done. He's absolutely going to be right there with him. But I, look, right. obviously LeBron's going to have better numbers. He, he played longer. Um, obviously, he's going to have better numbers. But to me, it's Michael and everybody else. And this is coming from a guy who worships Larry Bird. So, but, <laughs> you know, as, and, and, and I love this, Kevin, because, and I think you'll agree with me on this. What I love about this documentary, too, is it's introducing a, an entire generation to Michael Jordan. You know, they've yeah, heard absolutely. the stories, but they don't really know how great he was. And now they're seeing his greatness. It's not just a bunch of Gen Xers, you know, guys in their 40s and 50s proclaiming him the best player of all time and and being made fun of because we don't want to let go of the past and embrace that someone else could be better. These kids are now seeing that, hey, there's a reason why Air Jordans are still, you know, the most popular sneakers in the world. There's a reason why his brand you know, the Jumpman brand still resonates with people. It's because he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I was 10 for that last championship. So, you know, I, I remember him, but being able to see the interaction with teammates and, and stuff like that, 
that I would have had no, you know, no idea about as a kid has been outstanding. Um, real quick, before I forget, um, I just mentioned wrestling. We, we should bring up that Scott Steiner's son, Big Papa yeah. Trump, uh, signed with the Ravens uh, as well after the Yeah, draft. it's it's amazing. And, and, you know, when you talk about the UDFAs, there's so many great stories that come out of it. And obviously uh, you did a, you did a piece yesterday where you outlined a lot of the local kids from the programs we cover, the D1 programs that we cover around here. And it is, it's yeah. such a, look, having been on the coaching side of things for 24 years, it's pretty cool to see a kid like Kyle Murphy, who I coached against, at, you know, when I was at King Philip and he was at Attleboro, I coached against Kyle and to see him now sign, you know, as a free agent with the Giants, that's awesome. You know, uh, few years ago, mm-hmm. King Philip, we had a kid, Alec May, went from King Philip to Georgetown. He signed with the Lions. Uh, you know, it's just, it's great to see what, you know, obviously all these years, it's been great to see what Anthony Sherman has done in Kansas City. So, you know, you take a lot of pride in it with the local kids. Joe Gaziano, Zavarian kid, Situate kid, signs with the Chargers, played at Northwestern. So, it's awesome. It's, it's one of the Sunday after the draft. Is, is another one of my favorite football days of the year because you get to see these kids get a chance. You know, I mean, look, there's 17 Hall of Famers in Canton that were undrafted free agents. So you can never say that you don't have a shot to make it. You have a shot to make it. If you're, if you're good enough, you can make it. So, Right. I, I love the idea that he has a kid old enough to be able to play the NFL right now. So, um I'd be remiss also if I didn't. You've been remiss a lot tonight, by the way. I know. I, I got to get used to saying something else. <laughs> um, the uh, the Green Bay Packers. I know you're a shareholder. Uh, I, I need you to to rant and rave for about two minutes. Well, that's all we got here. But uh, well, look. I think <laughs> I, after processing it and looking at it, I think it's the surest sign yet that Matt Lafleur wants to play like Kyle Shanahan, who he learned under. Kyle, you know, the, he learned mm-hmm. under the Shanahan's and, and Kyle Shanahan is a guy that has heavily influenced his coaching career. LaFleur's brother, Mike is on the 49ers staff. So I'm not surprised that they're going in this direction. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that they drafted Jordan Love with an eye towards the future. I'm not surprised that they drafted uh, AJ Dillon because I think that they want to play the same way the 49ers do. Remember before taking the green Bay job, LaFleur was the OC in Tennessee. Again, you saw what the Titans did last year. So I think they want to play like the, the Titans, the 49ers, the Ravens. They want to run the football. They want to be more balanced. They want to protect their defense a little bit more. And I know people that love Aaron Rodgers don't want to hear this, but they want to protect Aaron Rodgers. And so I think that that's what's important here. Now, do I think Rodgers is their quarterback? In 2022? No, I don't. I think he plays there in 2020, right. 2021, then he's out. I think they move him at 38. I think these are his last two years in Green Bay. I don't think the Packers are like the Patriots in that regard. They know when it's time. They're ready to to, to tell the player, hey, we think it's time, just like they did with Farm. They're ready to tell the player, hey, we think it's time. And I think that this move, drafting Jordan Love, was with an eye to the future. But when you look at the rest of their draft, it's a sign that the, these aren't the Packers of Mike McCarthy. They're not going to get into 11 personnel and spray the ball all over the field. They want to be physical. They want to be tough. They want to win in all three phases. I think that's what their draft tells me. 
I know I know a lot of Packers fans out there are apoplectic about it, but if you if you peel the layers back, Kevin, that's what they're doing here. And now, obviously, I, I know I'm looking at it from a different lens as a as a former coach, but it, mm. you don't have to be a former coach to see that that's the type of team they want to build there. That they want to build a physical team like the San Francisco team that they lost to in the NFC Championship game. All right, do you have anything else? Are you still remiss, or can we can we put a bow on this thing? <laughs> you know, I've been running for 12 years. You'd think I'd have a better vocabulary, but no, um, I'm good, man. Uh, another good time doing this, and I'm sure we'll have one or two of these next oh, week yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, you better believe it. I mean, what the hell else are we going to do? Well, for Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenius. <laughs> Seriously. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Stoney on K Stone 06. Is that right? At K Stone 06. Sir. You can follow me at New FTBJ. You can also uh, find us on Facebook and Instagram. I haven't figured out Snapchat yet, so don't ask me. Um, <laughs> but for Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next time, peace.